0: Our reading this morning is from the book of Daniel. We are going through the book of Daniel this fall, and we have reached the seventh chapter, Daniel chapter 7. We move now from the stories to the visions. And this particular vision in chapter 7 is from Daniel, a vision that he saw. It's a revelation that the Lord actually gave him. I don't think he was just a miscellaneous wild dream that Daniel had one night. The Lord had revealed quite a few things to him in these night visions. And it occurred uh, in the reign of Belshazzar. You remember from a few weeks ago, Belshazzar was the last king When the handwriting was on the wall that night, Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian kingdom fell then to the the Medes and then eventually to the Persians. Belshazzar ruled as king probably uh, for about 40-something years as a vice-regent, but only three or so years. So this had to be within three or fewer years of the time that the kingdom of Babylon actually fell. So here is uh, Daniel having this particular dream. It's a long passage. In a way, I feel sorry for you standing, but if you would go three blocks west of here, you'd be at an Orthodox church, and you'd be standing through the whole service. So, so we, we do take mercy on you there. Uh, I'll try to read it quickly. It's a very familiar passage to you, especially some of the, the visions. But notice some things. This will keep me from having to talk about every verse in there. Uh, if you'll notice as we read, if you'll take it in at that point, notice that the, there are four beasts. And they roughly will correspond to the four kingdoms that we saw in the colossal image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. So uh, you'll you'll sort of follow that through. Then you will also see a a couple of uh, scenes. This is very visual. Daniel saw, Daniel saw, then I looked, then I saw. This is a very visual, kind of like the book of Revelation. It's a very visual uh, experience for the prophet. And then you'll notice as we go through there, certain things are almost doxological, in other words, it's it's worship. It's not just poetry, it's not just prophecy. It's not just a, a, a uh, an interpretation of a dream. It is in fact, stand with head bowed, with hands raised in praise and glory to our great God. And what the Lord is doing here is giving Daniel a vision of how things are going to go in the what I would call the, uh, the, the, the mega picture, the big picture of how things are going to go f- for the next 500 years. And then the final kingdom will come in and then it will go all the way through to the very end of time and the be- beginning of eternity. So this is uh, uh, something to pay attention to as we stand together and hear the word of God. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different." from one another the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings and then as I looked its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from and gathered uh, and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it and behold another beast a second one like a bear it was raised up on one side it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told to rise devour much flesh after this i looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings Uh, of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before, and it had 10 horns. I considered the horns and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a, a little horn before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames and wheels were burning fire and the stream of fire issued and came out from before him and thousands, thousands served him and 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court set in judgment, the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like a son of man who came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings that shall arise out of the earth. For the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, and with its teeth of iron and claws of brass and devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns there were on his head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. They seemed greater than his companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Then he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it in pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down these kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed in the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people Of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all abomination, all dominion shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarmed, and my color changed, and I kept the matter in my heart. The word of the Lord. Amen. You shall be seated. Thank you. Well, you made it through the reading. Did you get anything out of it? Well, let's talk about a few things that's in it. First of all, these four Bs, to talk too much about them would take the rest of our time. But uh, these are roughly the kings as the interpretation. You'll notice that beginning in verse 15, Daniel gets an interpretation of the dream. So the interpreter, whoever he is goes back and reviews the dream and tells Daniel the salient features of it. These four beasts, uh, the thing to notice most is the, is the fourth beast. The, the, the first three kind of come and go, and these we know from just reading the rest of the book and from looking at the historical period were the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, and the Macedonian Greek uh, uh, empires that rose in succession during these uh, years before Christ. The fourth beast is the rise of Rome. Rome was different in so many ways. And that's what kept being pointed out was the difference. This was going to be really the last kingdom, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of earth, before there would come a other kingdom. This other kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of his Christ. It's the kingdom of those people that are in Christ. It is the kingdom of God. It is that kingdom which Jesus came to establish, to inaugurate, to launch into existence. And it has had phases as it goes along. We're in a phase now. The first phase was when Christ was on earth. He was the continuation of the old theocratic kingdom which God had brought to an end And had been restored and then had been destroyed again. In which eventually God would destroy absolutely completely and finally in 70 A.D. When the Roman, the fourth kingdom, that final kingdom, that most vicious kingdom. That kingdom of the ten horns and the the little horn. That kingdom is the one that is primarily the one that's being focused. That's that fourth kingdom. Because it is that fourth kingdom of man that overlaps with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man goes through time, chronology, through the years, through the millennia. But then there's a time when the kingdom of God comes to earth and there's a time then when the king himself walks upon the earth. The king himself is crucified. The king himself is raised and in his resurrection the Bible says that he is enthroned I hear people singing songs, one day we'll crown Christ King. No, (laughs) he's already been crowned. He was crowned at his resurrection and he was enthroned. He was crowned with the blessing of the covenant. He was crowned with eternal life. And he now gives that life to all those that are his. He says, my sheep know my voice. And all is being done now, this overlapping. When Christ ascended, he promised that he would return in power and glory. So now we have a phase where the kingdom of man is still going strong. The kingdom, the fourth kingdom is going strong. In fact, it's going to go so strong that it's going to develop. Finally, the one that's going to make the most noise is that little horn. That little horn that comes up out of the ten horns and and wages war. Strange character, strange character. But as you study your biblical prophecy, begin to look at Revelation, a much fresher uh, uh, vision, you see that that is the final assault upon God and his Christ and their people. It is that final assault. They, they would see assaults in this e- epoch of time. They would see uh, the Babylonian people assaulted God's people, destroyed the temple, and took them into captivity. But there would come one in about the middle of this 500-year period, a little t- over toward the, the uh, uh, late uh, 160s. Uh, I mean, early 160s uh, BC, a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was one of the Seleucidian uh, uh, emperors and he was vicious. He was the one that controlled Syria. He's the one where when you study your Bible, you, you come upon all these Antiochs, <laughs> you know, Antioch of Pisidia, there's Antioch of Syria, there's, well, they're all named after Antiochus, this this great vicious emperor that was a part of the remnant of the Grecian Empire. And he comes in and he, he wages war upon God's people in Jerusalem. He even goes so far as to have a sow, a pig, swine, offered on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. He kills and he slaughters. He is a horrible, horrible blasphemer and an enemy of God's people in that era. Well, you come and move forward, you'll find that there were others that persecuted God's people, bringing the kingdom of God into the era of Christ and the Christian faith. The, the Caesars of Rome would feed the Christians to the lions, would burn them uh, in their gardens as torches for their parties at night and all sorts of things. And over the centuries, there's been persecution after persecution when, when the forces Arrayed against God in his Christ, the spirit of Antichrist, which has gone into the world. There are many Antichrists. And the world history has seen since the days that Jesus walked on earth, we have seen multiple Antichrist. People who opposed the Lord and everything that he stood and martyred his people. And what do you do about all these martyrs? That's part of what the book of Revelation is all about. What about all these people that are being slaughtered? All these people that are losing their heads? What what is going on here? What's going to happen to them? And God gives John the Revelator the vision of how these are the ones that are the real true members of the kingdom. They're going to rule and reign with Christ. So you have now in this fourth kingdom when the kingdom of man becomes more vicious, more widespread, more anti christ In every way and then you have the rise the struggles of the people of God undergoing persecution tribulation so this vision is given here of where the Lord allows Daniel to to briefly glimpse where he can tell what's going to happen in the future and it's for one reason only that's to give his people hope that's to give his people endurance that's in, to enable his people to to endure and to survive, knowing that they are going to have this kind of persecution in their lifetimes, and then even if they face martyrdom, it's all going to work out. Because what you see when all this beast arises, and this especially this little this little horn that is so blasphemous and and so anti God and so vicious in every way, and exalts himself, and and this one, we see all of a sudden the next vision is a. Is, is a court scene. We see the court of heaven. He says, behold thrones were placed. This is the judgment of, of and this is a picture of God the Father, the Ancient of Days. He took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. This is a picture of an ancient ruling patriarch. Uh, The book of Revelation calls it a great white throne. David and Solomon sat upon great white thrones. They were thrones of ivory. And it was the ultimate final judgment in God's kingdom in those days. Back in the days of King David and King Solomon. Now we've moved to the heavenly picture upon which everything upon earth is merely a reflection. The heavenly scene is that of a great father upon a great Throne with might and power. It's a it's a it's a it's a vision of the heavenly father, and as the heavenly father sits in judgment, the the uh, Daniel notices that the thrones are, are are fiery flames and the wheels are burning fire. Uh, Bill just mentioned a few moments ago the, the vision of Isaiah, of the throne room in heaven in, in Isaiah 6. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 1 and a couple of other passages in Ezekiel, we have a, a vision of the throne room of God. And that's what you see here. So now Daniel's getting a glimpse of the throne room, uh, room of God and a stream of fire issued and came out from him. The fire is the, is, is the, is the holiness of God. It's the judgment of God. It's, uh, our God is a consuming fire is summed up in the book of New Testament, book of Hebrews describes God in these terms and a thousand thousand served him do the math that's a million that's a million spirits a million servants a million angels and, and those around him in 10,000 times 10,000 do the math on that it's a 100 million you know, you just this is this is incredible throng of the angelic host and the people who are there around the throne. We have a picture of what goes on around the throne in Revelation as well. And a lot of that imagery is uh, is drawn from Daniel. But here we have this throne room, and, and these people, the, these angels and, and ministers stand before the Lord, and here's the key phrase the court said in judgment. There's a trial. The books were opened. Here comes the evidence. It's presented. We don't hear anything about the trial transcript. We don't get to review the evidence. But we do see the verdict. That very next verse, verse 11, I looked. See, it's always visual. I looked. Then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, you remember the little horn just spouting off, blaspheming God, using the name of God in vain, cursing God with every breath and leading the throngs of multitudes to curse God and to, and to martyr his people. And as I looked, the beast was killed, his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. There's your verdict. Now, if you take seriously the word of God at all and you appreciate predictive prophecy, you're going to look at this and it's going to give you hope in your life. And no matter what that big fourth beast does, and that little horn that comes along sometime in the reign of that fourth beast, no matter what, he's already been tried. He's already been judged, and God the Father has judged him and destroyed him. That's the verdict. So then there's another vision. He sees something else in the night vision. It says, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And this is the Father in the throne room, but here comes brought to him and presented to him is the Son, the Son of God, the Christ, the one who will become incarnate, the one who will bear the sins of his people, the one who will be their shepherd, the one who will share their humanity, the one that will be their high priest the one that will be their king he's presented to the father and that passage in the in the book of Psalms it says ask of me and I shall give you the kingdoms and that was probably the time when the Lord asked and that's why the devil in his temptation tried to get Jesus to accept the kingdoms from him he had the authority over him at that time and, and bypass the cross and do away with this judgment. Let's just, let's just get along here in this universe and let's share it together. Jesus didn't fall for that temptation. He knew he had to go the way of the cross, he had to suffer and die. He had to bring about a victory at Calvary, a true spiritual, dynamic victory, a cosmic victory that would defeat Satan and that would bring about his verdict, which would put him. In this lake of fire this burning end to his existence there's there's the the son and it says into him was given dominion glory kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him that's why Jesus at his ascension said all authority in heaven and earth is given to me he had been given at his coronation his enthronement his resurrection and His ascension, He had been given this authority. He had, he had this dominion. He had this glory. He rules over the earth now. It's not like He did in the days of His flesh on earth. It's not like it's going to be in eternity. But it is as He rules now. His all peoples and nation languages should serve Him. And that's who comes to the Lord eventually. It is the people who are of of multiple nations, multiple languages. We see that in the book of Revelation also, that the throng around the throne is a throng that is, is international in every way, all the peoples, not just the Jews. Christ came to the Jews, the Jews were his people, and the believing Jews, those that had the faith of Abraham, those that believed in the seed of Abraham, that is, that believed in Christ, Fulfilled everything that God promised to the Jews in their believing and in their faith. And in Christ they found the whole Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. The whole Davidic covenant fulfilled. The whole new covenant of Jeremiah and Ezekiel fulfilled in Christ. And then the big question in the New Testament, you read about it over and over, it gets to be kind of tedious when you get into Galatians and Ephesians and letters of Paul and other places. The big question is, what about all these peoples, these other nations, these other Gentiles, these other languages, these other people? How in the sense are they God's people? Well, they've been called. They've been grafted in as wild olive branches into the true remnant of Israel, believing Israel and together these believing Jews and these believing Gentiles because the only thing that matters is belief. It's all faith, it's not circumcision, it's not works, it's not law keeping, it's not, it's not rituals, it is faith and faith alone in Christ and his finished work. And those that have embraced and bowed their knee and become a genuine doulos, a servant, a bond slave of Christ who've been freed from the law as a taskmaster, and had been married to a husband that would lay down his life for them. It's those people, it is we, believers, who enjoy this status as these peoples of God. Because following this, it says they, they, they have an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and a kingdom that will not be destroyed. There's another phase to this. We have the Kingdoms of this world, we have the fourth kingdom, we have Christ coming in the middle of the fourth kingdom, the fourth kingdom is working its way out now with Christ at the right hand of God, his people still on earth, his people still suffering under the hands of, of the brutal beast and, the, and, and, and having to put up with everything that is uh, propagated by the little horn, this nasty little antichrist who, who, who is blasphemous in every way and martyrs so many of the believers. And then one day, in the clouds of glory, Christ returns. And it's obvious to everyone, angel and man, who he is. Every eye shall see him. They'll look upon him who they pierced. They'll know this is the Christ. It'll be a great day of vindication for those martyrs that have been suffering for generations under. Tyrants and beasts and godless governments and godless uh, worldviews and, and systems that have marginalized, persecuted, destroyed the believing community. And as a wonderful hope, we live in hope and the expectation of that day. In fact, let's tell you where we where we picked that up. I'm going to go over the New Testament and read just a, a, a short passage. This is when Jesus is now been captured in the garden, and he's been taken up for his trial. First place he's tried before the Jews. They take him to the, first the house and then the Sanhedrin court to try him there. Then they turn him over to the Romans. He's Pilate and Herod back to Pilate. So you know that the various arraignments and hearings Jesus had. Here's the one he had before the Sanhedrin. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. For they found none. They're looking for witnesses, see. Here we have a, another court scene, another trial being conducted. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Of course, that was absolutely true. <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus did. You know, the, the temple that was destroyed was his body, and the temple that was built was the body of Christ. That is the church, but I quibble. This, this is uh, 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 the, the next event, he says, and even about their testimony, they did not agree. And Here's what I want you to read here. Verse 60, Mark 14. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, Listen to this answer. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his garments and said, What more evidence do we need? You've heard this blasphemy, and let's crucify him. But listen to that answer Jesus gave. You want to confirm something? You need two witnesses. Jesus used Moses and Daniel. Moses, I am. Jesus claimed to be God, the Son of the Most High, when he said, I am. And then Daniel, and he quotes this passage that we've just looked at this morning. It says, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Let me just mention a couple other things, and we're going to wind it up real quickly. Um, there, uh, uh, when it comes time for the interpretation, there's a few things that are very helpful. Uh, it's almost like they just lift it out and put it in flashing neon signs. Uh, and and, and it, one of them is verse 17. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. The four beasts, the four kings, shall arise out of the earth... But it says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. The the saints of the Most High, we've indicated who it is. It's believing Israel and believing Gentiles together, making up the true church, the true Israel, the true people of God, the royal nation, the royal priesthood. The peculiar people, the elect from every nation. How many phrases in the Bible can you come up with? I've counted about 20-something that describe the body of believers, the church. They shall receive the kingdom. I don't know how many times we hear about people building the kingdom and doing this and that, but you receive the kingdom. You enter the kingdom. The kingdom is that which God bestows upon his people. It's not something that they themselves pull out of whole cloth and up by their bootstraps. It is his manifest work upon the earth. It says, and they possess, and the language here means that they possess it forever. And it just says it, and they possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. People like to talk about a kingdom. They talk about a millennial kingdom. Is it pre, you know, just Christ come back before after? When does the millennium? What's the millennium? What's the millennium? Regardless of all that, What you believe about all that, I don't bind any of it. I'm not a chilliest or a millennialist in any way. There's the eternal state. And even all the views of various millennial views will finally get there. We'll finally get to a place where time is no more. And heaven and earth are under a new order. And they're ruled and reigned over by Christ and his people. And we'll finally have what we lost in Adam, dominion over the earth. But this particular promises again. But notice one more thing here before we're done. He talks about some of the things that uh, that happens. He talks about how the um, 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 the little horn will will dominate and will will uh, oppress and take over uh, the people of God. And that particular phenomenon is upon us now it says the i looked here's this beholding again this visual i looked and the and and this horn this little horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them that doesn't sound very like very good news if we think we're living in the days of the fourth beast and we're living in the days of the little horn, the rise of the little horn, or whatever's going on. That's not a very bright prospect, is it? I looked, and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. We lose, or we are losing. Read the rest of the verse. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints... In other words, there's a judgment coming. There's a trial coming. And God is going to rule in favor of the saints. The vindication of the saints. For the sake of Christ, he will vindicate the saints. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Let me close with just taking one look at that very last verse. This is the end of the matter. And as for me, Daniel, uh, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed and I kept the matter in my heart." You know, when it comes to eschatology, you can argue about the millennium and the, the beast and the antichrist and all of that stuff to you, all you want to. But for most of us, and it's been true now for 2,000 years, we really aren't going to see that in our lifetime. We may. Some may. We may. Everybody here doesn't need to worry about the last day or the last days. You need to worry about your last day. In the final analysis, we all have an eschatology. Our eschatology is what's going to be your last day, what's going to be your last time on earth, what's going to be your last time to hear the gospel, your last time to come to the Lord in faith. It comes down to pretty much personal stuff. That's why Daniel, an old man here, listening to this was pretty upset. Uh, His color changed. It it completely changed his countenance, and it changed his viscera. It changed his adrenaline uh, processes in his body. It disturbed him. Why? Because he knew it was personal. would apply to him even though he may never see these kingdoms all come to pass never get past the the very beginning days of the Persian empire actually physically his lifespan but nevertheless there's a last day there's a last day coming and it's interesting he kept it in his heart there's a lot of things that you need to ponder your heart more than you need. you know if Daniel was a modern prophet, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have kept silent. He had put up a bunch of posters and charts and got him a multimedia presentation Would hit every every church that he could possibly get a booking in on Sunday night to teach a prophecy course. but that's not what he did with it. He took that information and let it drive to the very viscera of his soul. It changed him. it gave him a perspective on God and on his salvation that only beholding, looking, and seeing the things that God has revealed will do for you, it does for Him. I commend it to you this morning. I commend the Lord. I commend salvation. I even commend the persecution and the trouble that we may be in for when this little horn, this nasty little horn, gets to really cooking on high gas. It's going to be horrible. But the Ancient of Days, He's got a courtroom waiting for Him and a verdict that's already in and waiting. Bill, come lead us in the supper.